God's doing something in the building tonight. It is an absolute honor for me to be here. As Blake has already mentioned, my name's Lungs, and uh, I have the immense privilege of leading a group who look a whole lot like you in Sydney, Australia, a bunch of young adults who passionately love the Lord, and uh, who've committed their lives to Him. And I am absolutely honored to be here. Thank you, Blake and Kelly, for having me over here. I wonder if you could just take a few moments and honor these guys for what they've done, who you are. I'm waiting to the clapping stop so you can hear what I'm going to say to you. But clearly you're well loved in this building. There are, there are those kind of relationships that you know that are only God ordained. I, I mean, I actually physically met these guys for the very first time two days, three days ago. And yet it feels like we've been doing this thing together for a long time. And that's to do a whole lot more with you than it is to do with me. You are by far some of the most generous, some of the most faith-filled, large, big capacity, visionary leaders I've ever had the opportunity to partner with and come alongside. And um, I'm not gonna cry because I'm not like Blake, but <laughs> I'll cry for you. Don't cry, no, what am I doing? And I am, I am very thankful to be here. It's an honor. And uh, I believe in this and I am, so glad that you took out the step in faith to do this because I believe already lives have been transformed and changed here tonight uh, over this conference and I believe God's going to continue to do it again. And so thank you for your faith. Thank you for taking the risk on us. And I include us in that because I believe God's doing something. So thank you. Thank you. I know that, um, I also know that it, it, it would be amiss of me not to give honor to the senior leadership of this house because I know that even for you guys, this is not possible without their blessing and their encouragement. I know that they've been a huge, huge uh, support to you guys. So a, a big honor to Pastor Ray, to Pastor Andrew, and to Pastor Kurt, uh, who really have paved the way. I don't know if, if Pastor Lincoln was involved in the process at all, but honor to him as well for being a part of the senior leadership of this house. You are in a, if you are part of Bayside Church, you are incredibly blessed um, because from what I've, gleaned and seen over the last couple of days. I believe God is in this house and I believe God is doing something spectacular. But at the same time, if you're not a part of this house, but you're a part of another church in this Bay Area, is that what it's called? I, no, my bad, my bad. It's been great. <laughs> in this West Coast, <laughs> 916? <laughs> if you're part of any church in this area, I genuinely believe God is doing something pretty spectacular across this whole region. And I don't just say that because I'm here, but um, I've had the opportunity to be around in different parts of the US. And I mean, I, I will admit, don't hate me, don't hackle me, don't throw stuff at me. Let me finish the sentence. I've not always been a fan of the West Coast. And that's largely because I've never been here. I just assumed some things about you people. And... Uh, Nails did, hair did, looking all perfect. I'm like, no one's that perfect, get out of here. But after being here, actually spending some quality time here with some quality people, I am happy to say I stand corrected. You are some of the most incredible people on planet Earth. And uh, I'm honored to be here, I'm honored to be here. Okay, can we get straight into it tonight? This is the last night of 1825. Who thinks we should like add a day next year to this guy? <laughs> These guys are like, I'm gonna kill you. No, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm leaving in two days, so do whatever you gotta do. Um, but I will be back next year and I will, be, I will be sitting here as a delegate because I believe in what God is doing through 1825. Ephesians chapter four. Verse one, I'm gonna move this back because when I preach, I'm like a caged lion. So uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Uh, many, in fact, I don't think anyone in this building's heard me preach. And so I feel the necessary to give you uh, just some kind of insight into who I am and what I do. Uh, 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 I, I love the word of the Lord. I love the word. I love Jesus. I love God with my whole heart. And I, I'm going to try to 
maintain some kind of statesman-like attitude tonight in, on this platform. Um, but if I happen to lose my way, because from time to time, the Word of God is like a fire burning in my soul, and from time to time, I can't contain it. And so if I yell and I get all crazy, it's not because I'm mad at you, it's just because I love the Lord and I love what He's doing. And uh, if you're in the medical profession, I do have a vein that pops up on the left side of my face. I'm not having a stroke. We're okay. Chill out, bro. Um, uh, I have two children uh, as well, whose names are Titus, Titus Gray, Michaela, and he is my oldest and he's two, almost two and a half. And I have my newest addition, my 12 pound juggernaut, uh, Roman Kane Michaela. And uh, he's four months old and uh, they are with my wife, Kristen Kay, in Sydney at the moment. And they send their love and thank you for treating me to a good time with you. So let's get into the word tonight, shall we? Ephesians chapter four, verse one, let's read it together. It says this. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. I'm gonna read it again because this, this, is, this, is, this is the passage, for, this is the key text for tonight. Therefore, 1825, I, as a prisoner for serving you tonight, as a prisoner for serving this community and delivering this word tonight, I beg you, I plead with you, would you live and lead a life that's worthy of your calling? Because you've not been called by man. You've not been called by your pastors or your leaders. You've not been called by your parents, but you have been called by God. In fact, this passage is, is the very beginning of a chapter in which Paul goes on to talk about, you know, walk in grace, walk in humility with one another, walk in unity in the spirit as you endeavor to outwork the gifts that God has given you. Do you know that you have a gift in the spirit? Do you know that you have a gift that God has graced you with that is meant to be used and not meant to be hidden? And as we endeavor to outwork this gift, he, he then goes on to implore us to, to, to mature in our faith. Let, let, let's be so mature in our faith that we aren't like children anymore. There's a reason I don't do youth ministry. I mean, I do now, but I, I didn't start there. Because I, I, I love speaking to young adults because we're not children anymore. We can actually start to make some serious money moves. And so he goes and implores, let's not be like children who are tossed to and fro with every form of doctrine that we hear, but let's be mature and steadfast in our faith. And he goes on to finish with this, with this bold statement at the end. My heart's prayer for you is that you would grow and mature every day and become more like Christ. And I love this passage. I love this passage to, that would implore us all to live lives worthy of the calling. I'm passionate about this passage as I am passionate about this theme tonight because we can't afford to, with the climate we live in, with the culture we're in right now, we can't afford to call ourselves Christians and live like everybody else. With the climate that we're in right now, we can't afford to be so well adjusted to our culture that we no longer have anything of substance to offer it. Oh, this is why tonight I have come to plead with you, to urge you and to beg you that all of us would decide like Paul to the Ephesians, live a life worthy of your calling. Love God deeply. Oh, would you, would you walk with the Lord intimately? Would you meditate on his word daily? Would you be generous on every occasion? Would you serve the Lord in his house with gladness? Would we be a people who value wisdom and obedience? Would we walk in humility and purity? Would we be a generation of people who don't just know church and conferences, but who desperately and genuinely know Jesus? Can we be the kind of people in the house tonight who understand that these lives that we live, this life that you and I have, one life, it is not our own. I pray that we would understand as we endeavor to live a life worthy of our calling, that we would understand that these lives we have, they're not our own, but they're a gift that is meant to be surrendered to the God who gave them to us so that he can use it in service of others for his glory. 
This is what it looks like to live a life worthy of your calling. And so I'm racking my brain as I'm, I'm prepping for this conference and prepping for this thought and I'm thinking through how, how do I impart this in, in, in such a short space of time? How do, I, how do I inspire? How do I empower? How do I impart this idea into you in one night that we could all leave here tonight going, I'm ready to live the life that God has called me to live. I'm ready to be the example to my peers. I'm ready to be the light in the dark places. I'm ready to be the solution and not part of the problem. And I started to think about what this looked like in my own life. And what I began to discover is that even in my own life, these Christian virtues that make up our calling, I've only grown in them in my own life only as I've grown in my knowledge of the Lord. The more I know God, the more these Christian virtues are welled up within me. Not the, not the, the length of time I've been a Christian. Not the amount of conferences I attend. No, no, no. It is when I know God. The more I know him, the more I walk with him, these Christian virtues become the way I live my life. And so what I've come to learn is this. It is only revelation of who God is and what he has done for us that can truly evoke the response within us that can see us live the lives not just worthy of our calling, but the God that we represent. These Christian virtues are merely a response to the goodness and the grace of God. So you wanna know how well you know the Lord? How deeply intimate you are with Him? You shall know them by their fruit. So if you're taking notes tonight, I wanna preach a message to you titled, First Things First. First things first. Well, I can say it in your accent. First things first. <laughs> Sounds so weird. Sounds so weird. Nope, that is about as good as it gets. Why is this the title? Because I have watched too many friends of mine, I have watched too many young adults tried to live out these Christian virtues, tried to live in purity, tried to live the calling that God has on their life, tried to live with purpose and try to do that in isolation without knowing God first. We will never live out the Christian virtues and never be all that God has called us to be if we don't first put Him first. It is only when I walk in intimacy with God that I can truly become all He has called me to be. First things first. And now I understand why the passage preceding the one we've just read in, in Ephesians chapter 4, I understand now why Paul puts what he puts in Ephesians chapter 3. Because if you notice the scripture we just read, it started, the very first word was a therefore, which means that this is a key juncture in this thought that Paul is putting towards us tonight. It means that this is not the beginning of a sentence, but it's the the continuation of a thought. And every time you see a therefore in scripture, it would do you well to see what came before the therefore because everything that comes after the therefore hinges on what came before. And now it makes sense to me why Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter three. We're gonna read from verse 14 to 21 together. And so let's read it together. It says, when I think of all of this, and he's talking about all that God has done for us. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Oh, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Watch this now. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, just how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is for you. May you experience the love of Christ, 1825, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And now I say to you, all glory to God 
who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask, think, or imagine. And so I say glory to him in the church, in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So therefore, now go and live a life worthy of your calling. Do you see what's happening here? Are you, are you still with me? Are you understanding through the accent? Are you, are you following me here? What Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter three, he is demonstrating to each and every one of us, oh, if you would just see how deep and how wide and how long and how high God's love is for you. If you would understand what it took for us to be here tonight. If you would understand what it took for you to have life and breath in your lungs tonight. If you can understand what it took for you and I to live in freedom and to walk in intimacy with God. If you can understand just how much power lives within you because of the Spirit of God. There is enough power in you for God to work through you that we can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. And so once we comprehend that, how can we not lift our hands to heaven and say, God, you can have it all. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my dreams. I trust you with my ambitions. I trust you with my career. I trust you with every part of who I am because I know that God, you are the great I am. You are the all sufficient one. You are the all powerful one. And your love for me far outweighs anything I can find in this world. If anybody's thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, can you give him a shout of praise? When we understand what power through the Spirit lives in us and how deeply he loves us, it makes it all the more easy to live the life that God is calling me to. The response out of revelation. And so that's what I want to do tonight. We're going to go on a little journey together. Are you, are you up for that? Are you okay if we do that? I want to take us on a little journey because I want us to take a look at the lives of the disciples because this is not the kind of lives we want to live. I was looking through the scriptures and they, 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 there's this passage in Matthew chapter 4 that stuck out to me. And then I continued to study the lives of the disciples and I realized this is what I want us to be. This is my hope tonight is that we can leave with the same level of revelation of who God is and what he's done for us like the disciples because whatever they knew about God, whatever they had discovered about Jesus, it made them live the kind of lives I hope we would live. Lives that would say, God, you can have it all. Lives that would say, God, I trust you with every part of my life. I will leave securities, I will leave finances, I will leave everything to follow you and be all that you want me to be. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 together. It says this, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Now watch this. And they left their nets at once and followed him. See, this is, this, I was hoping we would, I was hoping this wouldn't be the case. You are all sitting there like this is something you would do. You're okay with that? You cool with that? Like I got this. Yeah, keep reading. Keep reading, Bishop. I got this. No, you don't. Are, are we, are, can, we, can we just put that scripture back up for a second? You, you, you act like this is just nonchalant scripture. Yeah, keep reading. I've heard this one before. Keep moving. No, no. I was arrested in my devotion when I read this. I thought, hey, hold on now. The Bible says at once they left their nets and followed him. Oh, you're okay with that? Oh, like you would, you would do that. Like some guy, you see, because we read this passage and we think that, of course, it was Jesus. If Jesus calls, I'll follow. Of course. Here I am, Lord, take me. You wouldn't. Here's the thing. We, we know Jesus. At least, I think so. 
We, we know him and yet we still wouldn't give up what they gave up. But here's, here's where it gets like convicting, like a little bit like, hey, maybe I'm not as hot as a Christian as I thought I was. Shoot. Like these guys didn't know Jesus. We, we, we read this and we assume they knew who he was. They didn't know him. They didn't know him. They don't know him like that. They may have heard about a guy who was a great teacher. They may have heard about a guy who was doing some things around the town, but they didn't know him. That's the first observation. The second observation in this text is this, is that we just think it was guys who were casually going fishing. Why anyone do that? I have no idea. But what you got to understand, when these guys were fishing, this was their livelihood. This was their security. For many of them, this was their identity. Oh, and you're still sitting there like, okay, this is like a nonchalant passage. No, that's just me. Okay, don't worry about me. I'm going to preach to myself real quick. Come, follow me. And they left their nets at once. Does this not bother you like it bothers me? What did they know about Jesus? What had they discovered? What was happening here? That they were willing to give up their security. They were willing to give up their income. They were willing to throw away what they had built their whole lives upon to follow a guy they did not know. Okay, we'll keep reading. You, you ain't ready for me tonight. We'll keep reading. So then they, let's continue. So a little further up, Jesus walked down the road and saw James and John sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, and they were repairing their nets. And Jesus, he called them to come too. Come, follow me. What's your name, God? Lori? Lauren? Lauren? Would you leave everything you knew behind? Yes, yeah, I'm with you, God. See, that's honesty. That was there. We can work with that. And he called them to, and they immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Now, nah, fam, you're playing games. <laughs> no, nah, you're asking too much, Jesus. You're asking too much. You got jokes. <laughs> See, this is the problem. We just read through scripture like it ain't no thing. Hey, Lauren, would you like leave family for Jesus? Like just, just drop him like it was hot. Thanks, mom and dad. It's been great. <laughs> I, I, when I, if I'm just honest, when I first did this study, I thought to myself, if I'm honest, I don't think I'm there yet. I, I, I don't think I'm at that point in my life right now where I could drop everything. I could drop everything, including my closest relationships to follow Jesus. Some of you wouldn't give up a ham sandwich at 11 o'clock at night to follow Jesus. Some of you wouldn't give up a number two at Chick-fil-A to follow Jesus. And you're sitting there like, that ain't no thing. Get out of here. So I, I sat in my study and I thought to myself, there is something I am missing here. There has got to be something I am missing here that complete strangers would follow this man at three words. Come, follow me. So I began to read and I began to study <coughs> and I began to call some friends who are way smarter than me, not Blake, definitely Kelly. Um, <laughs> We know who pays the bills. Let's go. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I love you, bro. I love you. I'm not coming back next year. <laughs> so I started to do some study in this passage, and what I what I stumbled upon was so powerful. So powerful. The, 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 the I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Shut up. 
It was like, it was like one of those moments, you don't have those moments when you read your Bible, when you get like revelation and you get up and you're like, hey, 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 hey. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. No. It's jet lag. <laughs> but I want to begin to understand how to read about Jewish culture and this whole idea of discipleship. And so what I learned is this, that in Jewish culture, discipleship, the, this idea of discipleship was everything. It was everything. It was every young Jewish boy's dream. You okay, bro? <laughs> Give it up for my guy. I about jumped off of this stage. I thought someone's coming to get me. Not today, Jesus. Not today. Thought it ain't my time to go. But what would happen is every Jewish boy, they would go up, and from the age of five all the way through to 13, they would study. They would study the Torah, they would study the scriptures, and they'd memorize them. And all along the way, what would happen, there'd be different stages, three different stages of studying. And at every, like, critical juncture, at like, at like five, at seven, at 10, and at 13, there'd be three key stages of what I call Game of Thrones, like Survivor. You know, like, like this is, this is like, not even, it's like, it's like a, what is it? Uh, the, the weakest link. So what would happen at key stages, they would look at some students, like, like, like Alyssa here. Um, sorry, God, I just, I just, you were just here. I just had to pick on you. And, 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 and they would go, hey, uh, uh, see, uh, see, I don't know how to say this, but you, you, you don't have what it takes to progress. Like, so, so it might be worth you going and doing your father's trade. And so they would bow out of the trade. And then they'd, they'd go to the next, like, layer, and they'd do some more study for a couple of years, and they'd kind of assess the students, and they'd get to the point and go, Blake, well, uh, see, what happened was uh, you can progress. Like, you're smart. You got this. You can progress. But uh, what's your name? Hector, it's a great name. Hector, nice. Um, uh, I hope you know how to fish. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, so there'd be like this process of elimination because not everyone could make it. And they would get to this final round where there was only a handful of students left who would manage to graduate. And it wasn't that they had made it. They were just graduated. And what had to happen next is that they had the opportunity then, this handful of students, they had the opportunity to go and find a rabbi, to go and find a teacher who they wanted to follow. And the custom would be this, that they would go to the rabbi and go, may I follow you. That was the custom. That was the process. That was the way things worked. The student came to the teacher and requested to follow you. Now, it wasn't as simple as, yeah, sure. Because to take on a disciple means a whole lot more than what we've made it today. Grabbing a coffee once a month. That ain't discipleship. That's a message for another day. Don't worry about me. Well, what, what it meant to accept a disciple, the, the rabbi would look at the student and have to decide, do you have what it takes to be like me? Can you embody my values? Can you adopt my interpretations? Can you live like I live? Can you be my ambassador? Because when a rabbi took a disciple, it was a huge risk because anything the disciple did was a reflection of their rabbi. And so the rabbi would wrestle with it and, and decide to accept a student or not. And this was the process. And so I learned this process and I'm going, something's still a little bit off here because that's not what transpired in this passage. So Jesus broke the protocol. Hey, I'm getting ready to preach. Hey, yo, somebody get ready to catch me. <laughs> Jesus broke the protocol. Jesus broke the line. Jesus messed with the order. 
Jesus messed with the function. It wasn't uncommon, but it was rare for a, a rabbi to come to a disciple and say, you come follow me. What that meant, oh my Lord, this was a big deal. This was a no small thing. This was a big deal because what it meant was this, the rabbi, he saw so much in you. He believed in you so much. He saw something in you that he could not resist. He didn't wait for you to get yourself in order. He didn't wait for you to fix yourself up. He didn't wait for you to qualify. He so loved you and so believed in you that he thought, I'm coming to you to ask you to follow me. Oh my gosh, you are missing it. You are missing it right now. This is why the disciples dropped everything to follow Jesus because they understood that we didn't choose him. He chose me. When everybody else abandoned me, when everybody else told me that I couldn't, when everybody else told me that I wasn't good enough, when people said I gotta go back and try something else, that I wasn't fit for ministry, that I wasn't fit to preach, Jesus, he looks at you, he sees you, he believes in you enough, and he says, I choose you. This is why the disciples dropped everything in a hat because they had no other alternative and Jesus was the lifeline. If this revelation meant the disciples were willing to give up everything to follow him, there is no other appropriate response for us. Why? Because the stakes were higher. Why? Because we're not just dealing with the process of education, we are dealing with life and death. Because the Bible says this, the wages of sin is death and all have fallen short of the glory of God. What this means for us is that every single one of us, we were out of luck. Every single one of us, we had no plan B. We had no alternative. We were on a fast track to death until Jesus, he broke the protocol. Until Jesus, he inserted himself into our story. And he said, I choose you. So I think in this building tonight, if you understand what Jesus has done for you, give him a shout of praise. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. He chose you. And the problem with us, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, help me preach this, God. Help me preach this, Lord. The problem with so many of us, why we still aren't fully devoted to God, why we still live as though Jesus is an accessory to our lives, why we still live like we have the option to church, maybe I'll come. Serving, maybe I'll do it. Generosity, maybe I'll do it. Because we still believe that we chose Him. Oh, y'all ain't ready for me. We are still living like lukewarm Christians because we believe we chose Him. We approach God like he owes us something. You owe me God because I came to church. You owe me God because I gave this week. You owe me God because I showed up. You owe me God because I served this week. You owe me God because I chose to give up my time. He doesn't owe you anything. He gave of himself that you might have life. If we wanna truly live a life worthy of our calling, we've got to get revelation and remind ourselves daily that we didn't choose Him, but He chose us. And until we can remind ourselves of that and humble ourselves in that, we will continue to coast through life and become so well adjusted to our culture that we fit into it. You wanna be the light in darkness? It starts when you understand that I owe him everything. Now I love what it says in 
one of these commentaries that I've been reading, it says this. What this means for us as the present day Talmud, which is another fancy way of saying disciple. What this means for us as modern day disciples that we can be no less focused on the rabbi as those guys were. We must be with him in his word. We must follow him, even if we are not sure of the final destination. We must live by his teaching, which means we must know these teachings. And we must imitate him whenever we can. Why is this so important? Because when God chose us, he put everything on the line. Because when you call yourself a Christian, you don't just represent yourself. You represent Jesus. And you represent his kingdom. Have you ever wondered what made Peter walk on water? It's because he believed this. He believed what discipleship is. When God chooses you, he is telling you, I believe that you can be like me. I believe that you can do what I can do. And I wonder what our cities and this country could look like if we had a bunch of young adults who dared to believe that when God calls us, He doesn't just call us, but He's saying to you, I believe that you can be like me and I believe that you can do what I can do. This is why Peter walked on water. Peter walked on water because he saw Jesus on the water. And he said, when Jesus called me, he said, I can be like him. So if he's walking on water, you best believe I'm gonna walk on water. If there are people sick in your university, if there are people sick in your family, if Jesus healed the sick and he called me, he believes I can be like him. And I want to lay hands on the sick and I will believe that they can be healed. What would our lives look like if we dared to believe that God, he has empowered you to be like him. I'm going to move on. I got to hurry up. I so, wow, 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 wow. Is this helping anybody? So the first revelation that the disciples had was what it meant to be called by God. The second revelation that the disciples had was of what salvation really meant. Salvation. See, because once Jesus calls them, he walks with them and they walk with him. They do everything with him. They watch as he teaches. They watch as he heals the sick. They watch as he places value on women and children. They watch as he, as he teaches and they watch his life. And there's this beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 16. I didn't give it to you team, sorry. It, it dropped in my heart before I walked up here. But there's this beautiful, beautiful moment in Matthew 16 where Jesus is chilling with his boys, chilling with his disciples and he says this, who do you say I am? And then and they're all kind of umming and ahhing. Some say you're like Elijah. Some say you're like this. And he goes, no, 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 no. But who do you say I am? And there's this, there's, I, I read this passage completely differently. There's this moment then, I, I can, there's this moment, Peter, he, he, he's sitting there. And, and I can imagine, if I put myself in his shoes, I can imagine what was going on in his mind. P, Peter's sitting there going, the sick are being healed. The blind can see. The deaf can hear. The rich are giving to the poor. Women and children are being dignified. And the ostracized, those who've been marginalized and pushed out of society, are welcomed back into community. And in that moment, what he had been hearing as a whole, his whole life as a Jewish boy, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And he brings freedom and he brings salvation and he brings healing and he brings wholeness. I can imagine his brain sticking over because he would have known the scriptures. And we catch this moment in Matthew 16, he goes, 
Messiah. You're the living God. You're the son of the living God. This moment that Peter has with Jesus as he recounts everything he had seen, everything he had seen, he realizes who Jesus really is. And he's sitting in this moment and he goes, this is who we've been waiting for. This is who we've been waiting for our whole lives. The Messiah has finally come. The kingdom is here. The Messiah is Jesus. And the issue with us is that we failed at times to not grow familiar with Jesus. We too often become familiar with what's happening around us that we miss the reality that revival has already begun, that the kingdom is already here, that salvation is here. And it's because we forget that at one time, Romans chapter five verse 21, it says this, we forget that at one time, sin ruled over all people and it brought them to death. But now, but now, but now, God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with him and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The disciples became whole, heartedly devoted to Jesus because they realized that he is who they've been waiting for, that the kingdom of God was here now, that salvation was here now. And I think for us, we ought to realize that the kingdom of God is also here now. This is not normal. What is happening here is not normal. The kingdom of God is here. Revival is here. We need to realize that now we are living in miracle days. Why do I say this? Because God is accessible to all people. Because young adults everywhere across the globe are making decisions to put God first, even if it's contrary to popular culture. People are being healed right now. If you've been healed in this room, could you lift a hand of something? This is not normal. People are being set free. Our friends are coming to know Jesus. And despite the media narrative, the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. What once was impossible is now possible. And we fail to have this moment with Jesus where we go, this is not the time to draw back in my faith. This is not the time to shrink back. This is not the time to be complacent. They had passion. They had faith. They got a second wind because they opened their eyes and realized that Jesus was moving amongst them. Some of us are laying dormant in our churches, dormant in our faith, dormant in our ambition for the things to come because we have failed to open our eyes and recognize that God is moving in our midst right here, right now. And we can turn the tide on that when we refuse to be familiar. Refuse to be familiar. I pray, oh, I pray that we would gain revelation on this idea that salvation is here. And why do I, why do I, why do I labor on this idea of salvation? Because when I sell salvation, you and I, we think of the English word saved which just means to move from death to life. But when God says salvation, there's actually so much more on offer. Though, see, the problem is we hear things like salvation is here and we go, that's nice. I'm already saved, thank you. Like, like we're turning down a happy meal. No, thank you, I'm good, I've already eaten. Because I expected in a room like this that when I say salvation is here, the place would have erupted. Why? Because salvation is a whole lot more. It's more than just about moving from death to life. That's just what we've named in the English language. But the original Greek word for salvation, when God says salvation, it's this word sozo. This word sozo, and this is what sozo means. It means to restore. 
It means to reconcile. It means to redeem. It means to renew. It means to heal. It means to save. And it means to make you whole again. There are too many Christians who are going, I'm saved, but I'm living with this limp. But it's okay because I'm saved. I, I, praise God. I'm saved, but I'm living with anxiety. It's okay, that's my cross to bear. That's my suffering for the Lord. I'm saved, but I'm, but I'm still broke. But that's okay, I'm gonna suffer for the Lord. Because we think that this entirety of the salvation idea is just about moving from death to life. No, because when God does a work, it's a complete work. So when I say to you, salvation is here. I'm here to talk to some people tonight who are still desperately needing a miracle. I'm here to talk to some people tonight who are still desperately praying for their friends to find Jesus. I'm here to talk to some people tonight who've been praying for their parents for years to believe they come to the Lord. I'm here to talk to some people tonight who've been plagued with anxiety, plagued with depression, plagued with fear. I'm here to tell you tonight, you may be saved, but God is not done yet. You may be saved, but Jesus came to do a complete work. And what the Lord has begun, He is faithful to bring to completion. This is not the time to lose faith. When we understand salvation, it'll change everything. You wake up every day with a skip in your step. You're like, this is another day the Lord has made and today God can heal me. Today God can do something. Today God can change something. Today God can break loose the chains. Today God can break loose my high school. Today God can break loose my university. Today God can break loose my family. Today God can do something. Every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. And we stop living complacent. And I'm gonna finish here and the, the band can come and join me because we're gonna do business with God. The third revelation, the third revelation that the disciples had as they walked with Jesus was the love of God. It was the love of God. See, because they walked with Him, they dined with Him, they ate with Him, and they did everything with Him, and they walked with Him until they got to this point where it all climaxed as they watched the Messiah, as they watched their friend with arms stretched wide, give his life. And I labor on the word give because his life was not taken. His life was not taken. He gave it for them. There's this beautiful, beautiful passage in Matthew, chapter, Matthew, Matthew, some Brazilian, Matthew. No, it's John. John chapter 15, verse 13 says this. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. They watched as Jesus took the most vile and dehumanizing act in history, the crucifixion. They watched him turn it into the greatest act of love. They did not deserve it. They did not earn it. They did not pay for it. In fact, this reminds me of Romans chapter five, verse 20. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for our sinners. When we had nothing to offer him, he found us worth dying for. And it is in that moment that I realized, as the disciples realized, how great, how deep, how wide, how high the love of the Lord is for me. And you and I will never love God like he deserves until we can gain revelation on just how much He loves you. This is not just conjecture. This is 1 John 4 verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. 
and you take all that life with Jesus, I now understand why the disciples live lives worthy of their calling. Because they understood that he chose them and that he had brought salvation to our house and he deeply loves me. And it was out of that revelation that they responded with arms wide open and said, God, you can have it all. You can take my life. And so tonight, that's what I want to do. I've asked the team to sing this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song that just simply says this, I just want you, nothing else, nothing else. I just want you. Here's what I want us to do. I want you to stay seated for, for a moment and let them minister over you. Let them sing over you. And as they sing, I want you to recount your life. I want you to look back on your life. Oh, Lord, he has been good to us. Oh, how good he's been to me. I would not be here had it been for his love. I would not be here had it been for his grace. I should not be here but for the love of God. And it's one thing for me to say it. And this is why I live my life the way I do. Because I refuse to forget who God is and what he's done for me. And when I remember that, I can't help but every day respond in the like by giving him every part of my life, by giving him my very best. I so desperately want everyone in this room to live a life worthy of your calling, but you will not do so because I teach you to do so. You will not do so because you attend church every week. You will not do so because you attend conferences every year. You will only do so when you understand who he is and what he has done. So as the team sing over you, I would love for you to recount the blessings, recount the promises, recount the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the favor over, our, over your life from our God. And once you have recounted that, and once you have reminded your soul of how good God is and He has been to you, when you feel comfortable at your own pace, I want us to move these chairs back. We're gonna create room here. When you feel comfortable and you feel ready to respond to that love, to respond to that kindness, to respond to that grace, to respond to that trust. I want you to come out of your seat and I want you to come down here and give the Lord Jesus Christ the praise He deserves in accordance with what you believe He deserves in Jesus' name.